So this is an audio lecture on chapter 5. And uh, chapter 5 is all about, um, for example, sector approach or program approach and also uh, structural adjustment programs, uh, etc. So I will, look, I will go over them. First is about uh, structural adjustment. The structural adjustment was a response to, first of all, debt crises that emerged after after the oil crisis of the 1970s. As we this we have covered already, so mainly this structural adjustment program uh, was taken, uh, adopted, uh, mainly in the uh, late 70s uh, to 70s. Brazil, Mexico, and Poland were among the uh, first countries that uh, fairly suddenly were unable to service their debts. Servicing their debts meaning uh, ability to pay back the uh, interest that was on them. So suddenly they became unable to pay uh, their interest. So structural adjustment programs SAPs consist of two main sets of measures. First is stabilization, and the other one is adjustment measures. Let's look at one by one. Stabilization measures, it includes devaluation of the currency. So it's also almost like a weakening the uh, power or value of the currency. Uh, so that imports are reduced and exports become cheaper and therefore internationally more competitive if they are to export their goods. If they are making goods, exporting goods, uh, uh, using the uh, relatively cheap uh, national currency, of course, when they export, they get more benefits, so to say. So therefore, first, stabilization measures, they uh, asked for devaluation of the currency. Second is a civil service and public sector wage freeze and reduction of the government's salary bill. Uh, of course, I'm talking to you guys, uh, youngsters, where you might not remember what was kind of happening when there was a economic crisis, a debt crisis of Greece about, what, four, some five years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the discussion or debate uh, that surrounded Greece at that time, uh, whether or not the Greece uh, could remain within the region of EU or member uh, as of the EU, etc., this discussion is precisely the same with this stabilization measures. A civil service and public sector wage freeze and reduction of the government's salary bill. Here, of course, I'm not talking about the uh, Greek measures against it, etc. But this is to, again, compare. Uh, so that um, it is actually nothing new, so to say, uh, for stabilization measures. Third, for the stabilization measures, uh, reductions in the subsidies of public services and products, such as food and other basic commodities, health and education, and pensions. 
for example, like uh, um, Indonesia uh, is uh, one of the resource-rich uh, countries, and uh, when there was a measures to remove the subsidy for uh, gas, uh, gasoline, yeah. Uh, there was a huge, of course, uh, outcry, protesting. Uh, even though, in a macroeconomics perspective, uh, subsidizing subsidizing to uh, such uh, basic commodities, or especially in this case, energy-related basic commodities, for example, will, in the long term or medium term, hurt uh, the economy as a whole. But, of course, uh, citizens and their psyche uh, should not be ignored but their psyche is, of course, to look at the uh, short-term tangible thing. If those subsidies are removed in front of them, they, of course, feel um, angry and uh, agitated. But anyhow, so this is a third uh, set of stabilization measures. And the second set of this structural adjustment program is the adjustment side of the measures. This included first a civil service downsizing. Sounds kind of cool, downsizing, but it's actually you know firing people. And second, economic liberal uh, economic liberalization to enhance economic efficiency. Sounds good, but uh, what it entails is, uh, for example, reducing uh, regulations, liberalizing prices, reducing subsidies, reducing taxes and promoting privatization. And third is about export promotion. So these two sets, stabilization measures, adjustment measures, uh, consist of structural adjustment program. All right? And the key term to understand this structural adjustment program is called conditionality or conditionalities. For the strict definition of the conditionalities, you should refer to the textbook and also other um, trusted sources. Because if I read out every single definition word, uh, it's well, it's boring. Uh, definition, how it, it is phrased, is of course by definition boring. But anyhow, so conditionalities uh, continue to be heavily criticized for a variety of reasons. Many argue that conditionalities undermine uh, government's space and duty to formulate policies. And of course, having said that, if you ask any of the official staff of the World Bank or IMF at that time, or still is, they will they probably respond to you that, well, these were not absolute conditionalities as other scholars and people criticize. We for example, these organizations have never demanded such conditionalities. If they, as a recipient government, if they did not wish to receive the package, of course they had an option of opting out. But it's just voluntary, so it was not forced upon them. So how could, how could uh, you know, these people can call this as a kind of a uh, conditionality thing that the uh, these recipient governments are forced to accept, etc., etc. But of course, these are what is written um, in their textbook, and of course that is correct. 
it's as if that the uh, permanent five members of the Security Council of the UN, they can say that, look, we don't have the veto right as uh, per se, so to say. There isn't any clause saying that, you know what, these five countries, they have a veto right, quote-unquote. They don't say that. Uh, but eventually, that actually uh, works and functions as veto right when you go into the mechanism and how it is formulated when it comes to the decision-making of the Security Council. So similarly, again, uh, if you ask any of the uh, officially uh, involved stakeholders during this uh, structure adjustment program time, they would probably respond to uh, respond like that. But having said that, it is a de facto um, conditionalities that these recipient governments had no other way but uh, accept. And uh, criticism against structural adjustment programs are, of course, abound so so much and so many. But many of the elements of adjustments, for example, do not or did not have a direct or immediate link to the main causes of poverty. So it is, having said that, me talking as if I know the stuff, but a uh, human being, uh, thanks to time, uh, one can say anything uh, uh, retroactively. Yeah, so we can talk about anything in a, that has happened in the past, as if we, the you know, the wise people, kind of know. I told you so. That type of thing. So anyhow, so <laughs> I am just um, how say this sharing the criticism that are shared. But one point for sure is that the people um, were serious at that time. Uh, who were dedicated to try to salvage the situations there. And it is to make a point that there is no such a people like like evil, like, a, you know, bad intention people. Of course, when you look into the uh, conspiracy theory or something, which I kind of like, but uh, that's kind of a hobby thing, right? Uh, there are so many stories like that, but then... When you ask the people who are who were involved in in those operations and programs, of course they had a good intention, and uh, uh, retroactively, one can say anything um, thanks to the time. But anyhow, so I just I just wanted to make a point uh, like that. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, so many of those uh, adjustment measures uh, were not considered to be direct or immediate link to the main causes of poverty. It's like a causes and effect or uh, root cause and symptom of a disease or uh, a sick. When you get sick, your symptoms are, of course, sometimes you have a high fever. And there are many countermeasures to, well, uh, counteract or take care of this high fever by, for example, you having a kind of a ice, you, you, want to, you might want to uh, cool down your head, forehead, etc., or painkillers, etc. But that itself is not touching upon the root cause of the sickness. Like that. So in a sense that the this chapter is of course um, coming from, in a sense, continuous from other chapters that we have covered, whereby the continuous evolution or expansion of the uh, understanding of phenomena called poverty has been um, has become uh, broader and broader 
and this whole understanding has um, been uh, becoming deeper and deeper toward its contextual uh, situations or looking more into the root causes. But at the time of the structure adjustment program, this was the first set or type of criticism that these measures were not direct or intermediate, no, 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 direct or immediate link to the main causes of poverty. Second is that the impact of reforms and adjustment also depends on political and other forms of power. Again, when you look, when you read the textbook, when you read this sentence, it of course makes sense because we can say anything retroactively as I as I was saying. But anyhow, people are people are people have realized that the same exact set of actions may not have may not yield may not generate the same outcomes with a different context like political situations or forms of power etc or historical or cultural background it makes sense right okay anyhow so that was a second set of criticism against structural adjustment program the third set is that many of the policy measures that were taking as part of structural adjustment program are part of adjustment programs that do not affect the power relations. So these measures uh, taken as a structural adjustment program did not uh, consider or affect the power relations or what's what has been there, so to say. The point, uh, this this point, I have uh, kind of emphasized in class as well, or in other audio lectures as well. But whenever I say we, uh, I mean by uh, we the uh, external audience or stakeholders who try to, with the right, you know, and benevolent intention, of course, to uh, alleviate poverty or uh, solve. Uh, social, economic, and environmental uh, problems. But whatever we want to do, however we want to do, we, quote-unquote, remain as an external uh, actor and audience. And when you look at the power dynamism or power relations that had been there and that is there in the very field that the we as an external uh, player uh, are intervening, such power relations will not change because it's been there and it is very, very intricate, convoluted, so to say. It's, it's how the history is uh, interwoven, in a sense. So many of the measures as part of the structural adjustment program did not affect the existing power relations there in the recipient government or its context. So therefore, it, uh, it was difficult to change um, very much uh, because people in power are usually able to block reforms that would affect their position. And we have this concept of governance, therefore, when we have this failure, huge failure, of structural adjustment program, we then started to uh, shift to the concept of governance. 
therefore, in the this has started in the nineties. Uh, New attention was given to quote unquote governance. Governance. The field of governance is very broad, of course. For example,、um, one of my specialties is environmental policy and also environmental governance. And here, in this case, the this same concept called governance is often used, but in this case, is an international development cooperation、uh, perspective. So the field of governance is indeed very broad and relevant in all programs, sectors, and projects, and this also relates to development approaches with an understanding of processes of power, and authority, and of institutions beyond governments as well. The concept of governance focuses attention on issues of legitimacy. And accountability. It was tempting to actually skip the definition of governance, but I think this is quite important. So I will just read out: governance refers to the process whereby elements in society wield power and authority, and influence and enact policies and decisions concerning public life and economic and social development. The okay. Let me let me continue. <laughs> governance is a broader notion that government, whose principal elements include the constitution, legislature, executive, and judiciary. Governance involves interaction between these formal institutions and those of civil society. I know these are all. What was I saying? Type of a kind of abstract concept, I know. But I would say, out of these uh, well um, definition paragraphs, important important point from these definitions is that governance is about the how, and、uh, the、uh, governance is about how to make a decision. Governance can be about the structure. Governance can be about the、uh, power relations. Governance can be about the system, wherein a decision is made. So it is not about what decision this system will generate or come up with. It is not about that, but it's about how the decision is made. So therefore, you would have to think about the stakeholders who are involved in such decision making. Okay, so that's kind of a governance in a kind of a, in a nutshell. So background of this evolution of the concept called governance is that the interest in governance followed recognition that many of the reforms during the eighties had failed. As we have been covering, there are many、um, attempts that、uh, became unfortunately、uh, a big failure. But because of these lessons learned,、uh, did they uh, uh, come up with emerging or more interest toward this concept of governance? For example.、Um, Quick fix technical solutions and blueprint approaches, kind of solution-driven approaches, 
with little attention paid to local conditions, or together with a low, uh, weak institutional capacity of the recipient government, and there are lots of questions of legitimacy, incentives and motivation of political and administrative leaders. I'll give you one example, for example. Um, if a country, in this case, this developed country somewhere, okay, if more than 50% of the revenue that they get as a country, if that is coming from externally, so in a sense, uh, with the form of official development assistance, if the country's annual budget, half or more of that is coming from externally, when you look, when you think about the accountability of the politicians who are, or depending on the country, but who are democratically or legitimately uh, elected, if the more than 50% of the money that they have as a country is coming from externally, but then if that happens, politicians, by that definition, need to take care of that money from outside first. Don't you think? That's because that's more important and that's more than what they gain from taxation. If that happens, this, cre this will create a legitimate path, so to say, for those politicians to, well, to be able to ignore the citizens in their country. Because at the end, their citizens will not be, and they are not as important as external uh, donor, well, uh, actors. And this means that the, uh, the phenomena or study field or discipline called politics has become an integral part of aid. So this is to say that up until 90s, the ODA, uh, uh, for example, donors, they had uh, kind of ignored the political elements or the power relations, power dynamism, um, or people's relationship uh, in the field. Uh, they've been ignoring that in a sense. But from the 90s onward, they, as a donor countries, donor agencies, they started to realize that, well, the politics is actually an integral part of aid that we give. Therefore, in the 90s, it showed that the political will and the political context needed to be understood much better. So such understanding emerged. A donor focus, therefore, on corruption and increased accountability to taxpayers brought about the realization that donors were part of recipient countries' politics. A growing number of instruments started to integrate politics into aid delivery. Then we have this approach, new approach, called sector approach. So rather than donors directly funding or giving money for services, as in a project approach or project mode, sector approaches provide funding to promote changes in policies and institutions. Again, with a narrow definition of policy, it is about the national scale. 
Okay, so in institutions are kind of same. So it is more uh, targeting the national scale. The projects provided by donors led to fragmentation of the budgeting processes of the recipient uh, government, as as we have covered, and the sector approach may have helped to enhance political commitment, efficiency in resource use, and capacity for policy formulation and implementation. So if there is a sector called, for example, education, with the sector approach that donor uh, agency and the country would, for example, um, give, let's say, $10 million with the name of, uh, let's say, uh, yeah, education. And, of course, I'm simplifying to make a point, but uh, that money is given to Ministry of Education of a recipient government. But after that, of course, through... Um, you know, usual consultation, close consultation with the donor uh, agencies or governments. Ministry of Education of that recipient government will take the full responsibility and accountability in executing uh, uh, or uh, designing or executing the projects or activities that they, as a Ministry of Education or the recipient government, feel fit or feel appropriate. So here, the donor uh, agencies or donor governments are kind of a, in a passenger uh, seat or behind the uh, front row, in a sense. But of course... Again, retroactively, people can say anything. But the criticism there is, of course, against... Uh, there are uh, much criticism against such sector approach. The process, for example, process of establishing joint donor support is usually very, very, very time-consuming. Remember that the, uh, uh, for example, a country like Vietnam and Nicaragua, for example, received more than 400 uh, business trips, missions by ODA uh, agencies. We, we, we covered that, right? But that, let's say that is the uh, result of a project approach. But Im can you imagine that such 400, uh, of course, I mean, some are overlapping, but to make a point, for example, 400 agencies or uh, uh, bureaus of uh, ODA agencies and uh, governments, they need to coordinate before they, as uh, again, ODA giving countries and agencies, before they give out ODA or aid. So the action, you can easily imagine, if there is... If uh, these hundreds of uh, agencies need to coordinate before they give out uh, any resources to the recipient government, you'll be able to understand how complicated and uh, cumbersome the whole process can ever be. So the process of establishing joint donor support is usually very time-consuming. Second, monitoring frameworks... Uh, tend to be complex and costly and with limited capacity of many countries. I think the more uh, a familiar uh, uh, case to make this point is that 
as we all know that the SDGs we have 17, but then at the same time we do have an uh, we do have the indicators what to measure, etc. We have 169. So can you just imagine that one country uh, is uh, to be able to uh, successfully measure and monitor 169 indicators? Of course not. Any uh, any university or school will not uh, will not be able to track more than let's say 10 indicators if they ever take legitimately and accurately designed surveys. So when you think of the difficulty of it, then we are here talking about the limited limited capacity of many countries. Third criticism against sector approach is that there is conflicting policy objectives. There are conflicting policy objectives between sector approaches and strengthening decentralized governance structures. Again, the governance sounds fine, but then governance of the uh, central government or governance of the uh, local government or how about decentralization process to, for example, uh, well, decentralize the power in a sense or dele delegating the uh, authority to uh, local government or provincial level and whatnot. And whether uh, that uh, sector approach uh, gets has this uh, conflict uh, from that decentralization process or not and that's also one of the criticism so the fourth uh, set of criticism against sector approach is that uh, now with a substantial number of new and often private donor agencies particularly the in the health sector that we I will just talk about the, with the vertical funds the old players, in this case, the traditional uh, northern uh, donor countries in the industry, uh, often support uh, such um, <coughs> vertical uh, funds uh, as well. So these are the sets of criticism against uh, sector approach. And now that the, um, the textbook and I just talked about the vertical funds, uh, let me just talk about that. Vertical initiatives uh, often focus on individual or group of diseases. I think I talked about this uh, briefly, about this, uh, uh, these vertical funds, but uh, there are now uh, dozens of health-related funds and partnerships with, for example, uh, the Global Fund for AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria, also known as the Global Fund, and this also known as GAVI, but the Alli Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization, GAVI, G-A-V-I. And another one is uh, the International Finance Facility for Immunization. The third one, I have to say, I, I, I haven't heard that much, I have to say, but the Global Fund and also GAVI are among the... Uh, very well-known uh, examples of vertical funds. These vertical funds are considered to be very, very effective uh, with the minimum bureaucracy and high impact, for example. For example, distributing a 30 million anti-malaria bed nets, etc. 
So vertical funds is like um, um, the, those rich donors. They've been, of course, giving out uh, millions and millions, if not uh, yeah, billions also, uh, money to multilateral agencies as well, such as UN and World Bank, etc. And as we covered at the 70% of the ODA money, however, goes to bilateral cooperation government to government yeah but the 30 percent roughly speaking of the oda money goes to multilateral agencies such as un world bank and the european union for example but these um let's say multilateral agencies as as a implementing hub or uh yeah implementing hub this whether we like it or not if there are if they are dealing with the taxpayers' money from the respective donor countries, of course, there need to be um, fully accountable and transparent uh, steps to, to disperse the money. Okay? And therefore, huge bureaucracy, as we all know. But the vertical funds, they kind of try to bypass that, so to say. That the uh, donor uh, countries they put billions of money. When you look at when you when you Google the amount of money that the donor governments are putting to these vertical funds, amazing. Okay, and here we are having this uh, Gates Foundation as one of the biggest donors to those vertical funds as well. But so they pull the money, and uh, these uh, vertical funds they on behalf do the uh, uh, procurement etc. But instead of going through those in, uh, bureaucratically nightmarish uh, UN agencies or World Bank agencies, they actually directly uh, communicate to the recipient governments. So bypassing a lot, so to say. And therefore, uh, donor governments, they kind of like this type of uh, a faster and more efficient and effective ways of um, dealing with health-related uh, issues. And of course, there are, there are criticism against it. Textbook, of course, is, is not talking about the criticism yet of because this textbook has uh, was written like 10 years ago. But, of course, some of the criticism is that this vertical funds itself creates bureaucracy uh, or another reporting duties, another set of uh, countless reporting duties f from each uh, government, uh, recipient government, in this case, Ministry of Health, Ministries of Health, so to say. So whether or not uh, that has uh, affected to undermining, again and again, this kind of uh, elusive uh, quest, but uh, whether or not that has undermined the uh, ownership of the, those um, uh, interventions. Anyhow, but the uh, budget size and also influence is huge. And uh, uh, lastly, uh, let's talk about program approach. The defining elements of program approaches are the following. First, they highlight the need for and try to promote leadership by recipient countries. Program approaches recognize that the various elements of success support are likely to take a long time. So program approach um, will be uh, happening at a long term. Third, program implies a single budget framework. 
that is integrated into common budgeting and execution processes. A program implies donor coordination as well. International agencies in a country agree to jointly support a program-led, a government-led program. Sorry. So the program approach, again, the definition, again, crude definition of program is that if you have a bunch of projects, then that's a program. Okay. So the program approach is the uh, assistance, technical assistance and cooperation to the unit of a program. But of course, we have problems with program approach as well. One is that the designing programs extremely complex. The number of qualifying criteria remains large and difficult to come up with. And the questions of fiduciary risks and corruption remains. So financial related risks and corruption risks. So because, okay, it's as if you getting a money for you you're getting money, for example, okay, let's say, uh, I don't know, five hundred dollars. Okay, this is for you to increase the quality of your learning, honey. Okay, so just why don't you just you know go ahead and use this five hundred dollars wisely to increase the quality of your learning? And <laughs> when you have the five hundred dollars, you know what you know the uh, temptation that you have, and this what's this to increase the quality of my learning? What does that mean? Type of thing. So <laughs> when you when you take that as an example, you you can kind of know how difficult it is. And it is already difficult to have, to see this uh, case where five hundred dollars is, is is coming from your parents or guardians. But can you imagine that this five hundred dollars are coming from twenty people that you might not heard of? And these twenty people will will have to agree on for what purposes and for what objectives and for what goals can this money be used? Yeah. And in order for them, the money giver, money givers, to be able to monitor uh, correctly and accurately, what are the uh, monitoring criteria? Well, that sounds like uh, difficult, right? So it is difficult. So, okay. And the the incentives for donors to spend money, and they have incentive to show results in through their organizations, and to show achievements. To the taxpayers of their own governments, this can be also in conflict with the aim to enhance ownership. This poses a dilemma for the aid industry. Of course, textbook uh, emphasizes this as part of the development cooperation. But me, as a parent, or here I'm just assuming that mainly I'm talking to the East Asian um, uh, influenced culture influenced uh, students here, but then I think you would agree to the pressure that you all have from uh, your parents, depending on the person. Yes, of course. But uh, for example, that you as a student, you as a sons and daughters, for example, are const constantly pressured to quote unquote achieve. Let's say for you to get into uh, you know elite university, elite company, um, whatever. Okay, all these societal, um, externally assumed success, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, whose achievement is that, so to say? Uh, when you look into the whole dynamism, you can understand that this this is actually the 
parents or the guardians uh, who uh, want to be proud of well themselves. It's the achievement for whom, so to say, that you guys are always, always constantly pressured to uh, generate, you know, outcome. But these outcomes are uh, are kind of preset by uh, those uh, parents and the, the guardians that you have. And at the end of the day, are you owning your life? And that's a you know good analogy, I had to say that the. Uh, these achievements, quote unquote, are these are these your achievements that you want, or these are the achievements that they want, so that they, the parents and guardians, can be proud of themselves. Very very similar dynamism happens uh, with this uh, donor and recipient uh, relationships. Donors they just want to feel proud of what they do. Of course, they must be proud and they must provide evidence that, look, what we have done to our kids or recipient governments, in this case, have miraculously, for example, you know, alleviate poverty and, you know, look at these smiles from the villagers. These are all pictured um, in our annual report. Thank you so much for the taxpayers, etc. So similar, and this does create, uh, create a dilemma. Uh, for the aid industry okay anyhow so um i know i digress a little bit but anyhow so that was chapter five and uh uh that's it thank you so much